Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back once again to the Corner of Truth and Courage. We've been talking all this week about what I call the cultural jihad or creeping Sharia, how they Muslims have been coming into our country since the 1960s with a mission, with a goal to destroy Western civilization from within. Now, they've been busy doing this in Europe since World War II, and the growth of Islam in Europe has been very successful. They've been immigrating and procreating and taking over great influence in these countries. In fact, Muammar Gaddafi said back in April 10th, 2006, um, this was reported on Al Jazeera TV, of course, he's now dead. He's passed on from this life, not into the arms of 72 virgins. He was lied to by Muhammad that uh, if he served Allah, he would find a reward in heaven. But I'm here to tell you, Allah is not the God of our world. Uh, he's not the God who created our world, and he's not the God of heaven. He is a false God. He is a God of the imagination of Muhammad. Instead, because he rejected Jesus Christ uh, as God and rejected Jesus' gift of salvation through his blood, atonement, sacrifice on the cross, denying his death and his burial, uh, Muammar Gaddafi is not in heaven today. He's in the pits of hell, suffering God's wrath, because not because he's a Muslim, but because he rejected Jesus Christ. And because he rejected Jesus Christ, what caused him to do that was the lies of Muhammad. So here's what he said back in 2006, April 10th. He said, there are signs that Allah will grant Islam victory in Europe without swords, without guns, without conquest. What's he talking about? He is referring to the rapid, enormous growth of Muslims that have poured in to Europe. And because of their numbers and their growth uh, through immigration and procreation within that, that continent, he believed that it, Allah will grant Islam victory and they won't have to fight for it. They won't have to fire a bullet. They won't have to swing a sword. They won't have to amount a conquest, a war, in order to win it. Now, they've been trying to gain access into Europe with wars but they fail. We fight back. We protect our land, and we're good at our fighting. And they found that they couldn't take us with the sword, so they developed a new way to come into our country as friends, but come to peddle their poison. How did it grow in Europe? Well, it's the result of World War II. In the carpet bombing that was going on in order to uh, regain Europe from Hitler, uh, most of the cities and roads and infrastructure was destroyed through the bombings of the aircraft from Germany fighting back and America and England fighting against him. So in order to rebuild, and they had to rebuild, they needed men to do it. But most of their men were killed off in the war. So they started looking to their neighbors. France and Spain went to their neighbors of North Africa, 
Tunisia, Morocco, Libya, guess who came? Muslims. Germany turned to the old Ottoman Empire, to Turkey, and the Muslims came. England turned to their colonies of India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. Guess who came? Muslims. And so Muslims started pouring into Europe after World War II by the boatloads. Now we're familiar here in America of chain migration. You let one immigrant in and 88 cousins follow him. And they, and they keep coming and coming and coming. So due to immigration, and the Europeans didn't really think that they would stay, but they did. And, you know, they were pretty much taught, get along with these people, we need them. And so toleration became the course for Europe to tolerate all these foreign Muslims coming into the country with their religion, with their food, with their clothes, with their different ideologies, different standards, different uh, value systems, and they started living amongst them. Then they started procreating. Meanwhile, the average uh, European was not keeping up with the birth rate. The indigenous birth rate in Britain back then, in 2010, was 1.4 children. Every uh, institution is going to tell you for society to prosper, to continue, they have to have at least a minimum birth rate of 2.1. Now, here in America, we're at 2.1 only because of the Latino population that's come to live amongst us. The indigenous white birth rate is 1.7 in America. But up in Canada, it's even worse. Your birth rate up in Canada is has been... Uh, 1.6, 1.5, 1.4, I believe, um, when I began to look at these numbers. I'm not uh, in front of my data right now. But uh, the indigenous white uh, Canadian birth rate had dropped significantly. That's why they have been immigrating so many people. I remember the first time I went to Canada, I was, uh, I, when I drove into Vancouver, I thought I was driving into Hong Kong. Uh, the immigrants there are in Great, great, great number. And this is what's going on in Europe. Meanwhile, so while the birth rate of the indigenous British family dropped down to 1.4, the Muslim families there, their birth rate was 4.7 children per couple. So if if your birth rate is 1.4, there's two in one generation, and they push forward to the future generation, 1.4, that people group, will eventually disappear if that remains the norm. They are becoming less and less in number. Meanwhile, the Muslims are almost five children in Britain. In France, it was 7.4 children per couple. And so the growth of immigration and procreation has exploded a great number of Muslims in Europe. Now, a few years ago, I remember when I started on the radio, the number of Muslims in Europe was about 20 million. But they, but in 2014-15, when ISIS was there, over 10 million Muslims poured into the country. So their numbers are north of 30 million amongst 300 million of a population of Europe. Now, 
I remember reporting on this back in 2010. The Daily Express came out with a report that the most popular name for a baby boy born in Britain is Muhammad. That's the most popular name for a baby boy. And it's been that way since 2010. So 13 years, the Muslims are outnumbering us and Muhammad remains still to be the most popular chosen name for baby boys in Britain. And there are now many more is uh, European countries where that is also true for their nation as well. In 1943, there was only one mosque, only one mosque in all of Britain in 1943. Today, north of 2000. In 1997, they elected their first Muslim to be a member of parliament. Uh, They've had as high as many as six Muslims as members of parliament. They've been reporting, and I don't know if this will still remain to be true. I still need to get back into looking into these numbers. (coughs) But the Telegraph, on May the 8th, 2008, made a prediction. If the status quo remains the same, and the immigration of Muslims and the procreation of Muslims and the lack of birth of, of uh, Christians in our nation, of, of, of non-Muslims, there, they estimated by the year 2035, there'll be more Muslims than Christians in Britain. I want that just to sink in for a moment. Think about that. By the year 2035, if the status quo remains the same, and it has been, the numbers of immigration and procreation of Muslims there in that country that they predict in 2035, that's about 12 years from now, there'll be more Muslims in Britain than non-Muslims. That should weigh heavy on our minds. Britain controls a great deal of nuclear power, military might. If America loses an ally like London, I mean, for 20 years, uh, I think it was 20 years ago, I first heard the term Londonstan. Think about that, Londonstan. London being transformed, Britain being transformed into an Islamic state. That's where they're headed. And I've been warning, saying we need to keep our eye on Europe because that's where we're heading. And what they're doing there is coming here. Now, Britain has already had for a long time uh, British financing. The Islamic Bank of Britain um, was there back when I lived there. And so they're establishing themselves in the banking world. They've been establishing themselves in the uh, political world, and in the courts. And uh, when we come back tomorrow, we're going to run out of time. I'm not going to have time to get into this here today. But where I lived in England, um, back in 2008, that's when September 14, 2008, I'll never forget the day, the Times newspaper came out with an article, and they said that seven Sharia law courts will be opening and is opening with the government's authority. 
the Muslims have been saying for years and years and years, if if we are allowed, uh, we cannot practice our religion properly unless you allow us to have Sharia law. <clears throat> In their mosque, they were having Sharia courts, but no one would enforce the rulings of the imams of the fix that were in these uh, mosques throughout the country. And they said, listen, we need authority. We need the government's backing in our courts. And, um, and the government finally relented and said, okay, we'll let you have your courts. And so September 14, 2008, it was listed seven cities, Sharia courts would be established. Well, most of those cities were not a surprise. London, Birmingham, um, and, and Cardiff, and, and other major cities in, in, in Britain. But then they listed a city that most people couldn't even tell you where it was located, Nuneaton. I knew where Nuneaton was located because that's where I lived. It was my home, just outside of Coventry and Birmingham, right in the Midlands, not far from Birmingham, the second largest city in the country. And the seventh city that they mentioned, Nuneaton, was the headquarters for all the Sharia law courts of the land. I did not know it. I knew I lived in a large Muslim community, but I did not know that it was so influential in the country for the beginning of Sharia law in Britain. When we come back tomorrow, I hope you'll join us because I want to talk to you about how they succeeded to get the Sharia law courts there and how they'll succeed in getting them here in our country if we let them. That's going to be it for today. Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.